0: Hello and welcome, it's Ken Drews, and you're listening to Ken Drews' Real Dirt the Garden Show. I'm here every week, and you can listen at any time and listen to archive shows that we save on the website, kendrews.com. Today my guest is Kristen Green, the Interpreter-Horticulturist at Blythwold Mansion Gardens and Arboretum. If you love trees, this is a place to see, and it's a beautiful place to see the house, to see the ocean, in Rhode Island. I'm speaking with Kristen Green, interpretive horticulturist at Blythewald Mansion Gardens and Arboretum in Bristol, Rhode Island. And Kristen, we met a long time ago. We did. (laughs) If you remember. And it's longer ago than I thought. How long have you been at Blythewald?
1: I've been here eight years now. It must have been four years ago. Oh,
0: no, it's more than that, I think. Is it? Yeah, I'm afraid so. (laughs) (laughs) And we were ogling a Stapelia, as I remember. Yes, I I
1: remember you opening it, actually. You were a little impatient. Oh, I don't remember that.
0: (laughs) 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 Well, Stapelia is a succulent that has this big starfish-like flower, the Stapelia gigantea does, and before it opens, it's a a balloon with seams, and Mm -hmm. uh, I guess now that you told me that, I probably peeled it open. I was thinking, isn't it amazing and lucky I was there the day it opened? But yeah. I guess yeah, you I were, wasn't.
1: <laughs> well, you are lucky in a way. Gonna...
0: The day before. Yeah. And you were, you were very nice to let me peel it open.
1: Well, I was anxious for it to open, too. Although I'm not sure why, Isn't since they, they smell like meat.
0: Uh, they smell like rotting meat. Rotting meat, yeah. They smell like meat that's been out for several days, and sometimes yeah. I've even seen fly eggs on them. Yeah. After yeah. a day. Yeah,
1: yeah. It just opened again. I watched all the flies pollinating it.
0: Oh, so we probably were there many years ago at this very time. Well, I
1: think <laughs> it opened later that year. I think it was November.
0: Oh, right, because the the Korean chrysanthemums were open. I remember right. that too in the garden, yeah. and and not frostbitten. But that's one thing about where you are uh, in Bristol, Rhode Island, and Rhode Island itself is. Not as cold as it is in the northwest corner of New Jersey, where my garden is. And mm-hmm. uh, you're, you have a long, wonderful fall season. It's true. It's true. And the
1: frost seems to get later and later every year.
0: Um, for you. Yeah. <laughs> 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 two years ago, September 15th, Killing Frost here. Oh, wow. I know. And, and uh, two years ago also, the last frost was Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. So I have a very short season compared to the long season at Blythold where the Mm -hmm. roses are beautiful. And, well, tell me a little bit, well, actually, what's an interpretive horticulturist?
1: Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that question. I like to say that I describe the gardens for visitors. I help them understand what they're seeing in the gardens. I write the blog and I, I put out plant labels as many as I can, as often as I can. Um, and just try to try to be available for visitors so that they can know what we're up to.
0: Well, that, that's a wonderful thing. That's very helpful because I think uh, visiting a garden uh, is not only inspirational because it's beautiful, but also, you know, you, you learn a lot of things. And if you see a plant that you love, and I, this happens to me, I see a plant I love, and I cannot see a label. And I know mm-hmm. that labels can be kind of not so pretty. But I really want to know what that plant is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some, I, yeah.
1: I have a love-hate relationship with the label.
0: Exactly. And, <laughs> and none of them last forever, and none of them are pretty, and we haven't figured that part out. It's another get-rich-slow scheme, trying to figure yeah. out how to do the labeling because uh, very often you see a label, and, and it's so thrilling, and then you realize it's a label for a plant that died three mm-hmm. years ago.
1: There's <laughs> <laughs> <is> a danger. <laughs>
0: So so you're keeping up with that. Well, I think that's great, and I think that interpretive horticulturist is, is a wonderful phrase. It's a good title for that.
1: Yeah, thank you. I also, I, I wouldn't mind Plant Whisperer, but I'm probably not there yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, not if they're going to die and leave their labels, but no. that may not happen to you, of course.
1: <laughs> Occasionally.
0: And tell that. me a little bit about Blythewold.
1: Well, Blythewold is a is a 33-acre nonprofit public garden uh, right on the Narragansett Bay Shore. It's, it's Beautiful um, property, so prettily situated. It's, the views of the water are gorgeous, and there are lots and lots of old specimen trees that have survived all of our hurricanes, even the recent one. And um, we have four or five good sized gardens, uh, very colorful. Um, the display garden in particular is gorgeous right now and will be probably through mid October, depending on frost. It peaks right around now.
0: Is the display garden the one next to the renovated greenhouse? It is, yeah. And that and a... I was just going to say that greenhouse is wonderful, <laughs> also beautiful. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's so nice to have a working greenhouse again. When it, it was restored in 2005, and it was just about ready to fall down. There were glass panes all over the floor. We couldn't allow visitors to come through. Uh, we could only use part of it in the winter. Um, and now we grow everything for the gardens that we can in it.
0: Well, my trips to Blaisdell many years ago. Uh, one of the first things I would do w- would be bow down to the giant sequoia. <laughs> <laughs> and if you could tell me a little bit about the, you have a California redwood in this garden in Rhode Island.
1: It's driven. It does seem to be pretty happy here. Um, it it gets the snow that it needs, um, and it's it's still a baby. It's only about a hundred feet tall, and it, but it is um, it's a big one for hugging.
0: Well, it's 100 feet tall, and it's, its I guess it's about 100 years old.
1: Yeah, yeah, they grow about a foot a year. And they are susceptible to fungus um, out here, I think because of the humid summers, but this one seems pretty healthy. We try to take care of it.
0: And and how did that end up there? Do you know?
1: The um, the landscape architect for Blythewald, John DeWolf, brought it up from a greenhouse in New York, um, I think in 1911, and it was already... Ten or eleven years old at that point, um, and and just he thought it needed to live here, and he planted all sorts of different trees around it to protect it. And now it's we have several of its babies on the property. Too. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, and actually they're all over Bristol. I think they're all babies of this tree.
0: Um, it, it, is it just the species, as far as you know? Yes. So you can't name it like the Blythewald Redwood or something? No. <laughs>
1: no, I don't think so. <laughs>
0: You'd have to get pollen from somebody, I guess, <laughs> and start a new program. Another uh, Get Rich Slow Scheme. <laughs>
1: Very many people have room for a redwood.
0: I guess not. I guess not. <laughs> so the the family who lived at a 100 years ago or so uh, were interested, interested in trees.
1: Yes, they were. And actually, the the Van Wickle's bought the property from a family that, were, that was interested in trees. So it's a long, a long history of being an arboretum. And the, um, the Van Wickle's were told that they owned an arboretum by people from Arnold Arboretum, who were so surprised to see a toon tree in bloom. The, um, the Van Wickle's sent them, sent the Arnold Arboretum a, a toon blossom, and wondering what it was. And the um, it was Alfred Rader. Was so excited, he came straight to Blyfold and, and told them they had an arboretum here.
0: Wow, what's a tun tree? Um,
1: it's Tuna sinensis. Oh my species. goodness, I
0: know what that is. Yeah, Tuna sinensis, um, and it's just a species too. You don't have the pink one.
1: <laughs> no, we don't have the pink one. That would be cool, though. I'm dying for the pink one.
0: You're dying for the pink one. Talk to me. I okay. can help <laughs> you out with that. And you'll, that's funny that you should mention that. And it's a lot has a lot to do with Rhode Island, too, Tunis uh which used to be called Cedrella, mm-hmm. is, uh, I think that's what they made cigar boxes out of. Oh, okay. That was the wood. And it looks kind of like an Elanthus tree, although I think it's it's very nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is a version of it called Flamingo that has, that is one of the most beautiful trees I've ever seen in my life, but I've only seen it in certain climates, and it's not oh. the cold that kills it or stops it from being pink it's the heat i think um but we can talk about that some other time (laughs) so when you're talking when you're interpreting gardens and planting gardens and really i think besides the interpretive horticulturist you're sort of the horticulturist there and i know you plan and make things beautiful and it's we're talking about trees but it's also a, a beautiful flower garden
1: yeah, and I am not, I'm not the only one. Gail Reed um, has been here for about 20 years. She's the gardens manager, and, and she and I both design the gardens
0: I didn't together. mean to imply that you were the only one, no, but uh, no, you're, yeah. you're, you yeah. don't just interpret them, you plant them, too. No, it's not,
1: <laughs> yep, I, I spend as much time out in the gardens as I, as I possibly can. Uh, yeah, so we, we do all the planting and maintaining, and we have about 25 volunteers that help us. Oh, great. Yeah, which we couldn't do it without them.
0: What days are you open?
1: We're The grounds are open every day, year-round.
0: Hmm.
1: We're never closed. And the mansion is open um, Tuesday through Sunday um, from April until October and then again for Christmas.
0: Well, the mansion's beautiful, and the porches are beautiful because, as yeah. you said, it's the location is so wonderful. When you sit on the porch, the whether it's the sleeping porch or the... The glassed-in porch or the outdoor porches—you really, you get a feeling that this is your house. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. That's the thing. It's—it's it's a really human scale. Everybody says that they just feel like they could live here.
0: I could live there. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah, me too. laughs> the nice long season, mm-hmm. and the and so I guess the you said the trees weren't damaged. So those gigantic ginkgo trees are still there. They're
1: still there. They held on. They're fine.
0: I've never seen ginkgo trees as big as the ones at Blathwold. Yeah.
1: Apparently, um, the big gingo tree right in front of the house, on the long side of the house, was Anthony Quinn's favorite tree.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, isn't that cool? Yes, I can certainly understand why. <laughs> I'm speaking with Kristen Green, Interpretive Horticulturist, Blythwold Mansion Gardens and Arboretum in Bristol, Rhode Island. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the Rose Garden and things that are happening in the Rose Garden right now in September. And stay with Thank you for staying with us. It's Ken Drews. You're listening to Ken Drews Real Dirt, The Garden Show. My guest today is Kristen Green, interpretive horticulturist and all-round horticulturist and planter and designer and hard worker at Blythwald Mansion Gardens and Arboretum, a place to see a beautiful house, an incredible location, the ocean in, in Rhode Island, in Bristol, Rhode Island, and some amazing trees. If you like trees, this is a place to go, and... Most of us do like trees, and Kristen also the the rose garden, which I I always, I always used to think of. Well, there's the moon gate, and mm-hmm. there's the gift shop, and there's the parking lot, and oh, there's some flowers. <laughs> but things have kind of come along in that part of the garden.
1: Yes, it it it's changed a lot in the last probably three or four years. It it used to be pretty much only roses, and you know how roses can look over the course of a Summer, they can they can t- start to look a little tough. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the rose garden is now it's still a rose garden, but it's more of an entrance garden. It's very colorful. Um, we've we've interplanted perennials and annuals and shrubs and, and and bulbs, and we just keep the color going all along. And the roses actually are happier for it. Mm-hmm. And we we treat them um, with a lot with tough love, really. They don't get any. Um, fungicides or pesticides um, because we've got volunteers and visitors going through that garden all the time. We don't want to poison them.
0: Well that's interesting because you mentioned before about the humidity and the the danger of fungus in the garden Mm -hmm. because you are right on the ocean. Um, So how do you pull that off?
1: Um, We clean up pretty diligently under the roses. I've been raking leaves sort of obsessively for years now, twice a week. And I think it's helped. And
0: also, hygiene. Good hygiene. <laughs> yeah, good
1: hygiene. They, you know, they all say that that's supposed to work, and, it, and and I have to say it does. It has improved them. That and um, compost. We finally put compost down last year, and the roses love that. They're so heavy feeders.
0: Did you do that in the fall?
1: We did the, We did that in the fall. It gives the compost time to settle in and sort of work its microbial magic over the winter. And it was brilliant. The other thing that helped was irrigation, um, which we we were really lucky to have an irrigation system donated. Ooh. Yeah. And I guess that's
0: not above ground. That's not spray. (laughs) Or is it? Well,
1: they're micro-spray is what they're called. Uh And each rose has its own little spray head. Um, so it's not supposed to hit the leaves, and it doesn't. Um, and they just get drenched a couple times a week.
0: Well, it, the compost that you're going to put down, when when do you think you'll be doing that?
1: We'll probably do, in that garden we'll probably do it every other year, but it would be, last year we did it in, in October, just after we closed. Um, when we did that... Um, for two reasons. We, we, it could be put down later, but because we open up again for Christmas, um, we didn't want the garden to be stinky, and we did use a very stinky compost. Because we we got it from the town, and the town makes compost out of biosolids. Mm. Um, and it's brilliant, rich stuff, but it does stink.
0: Oh, that's interesting and a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: it is. But, it, you know, the people who make it are so proud of it. They, um, they have it tested weekly. It's pathogen-free. They say it's top grade. They say they can use, that you can use it on vegetable gardens, although I'm a little bit leery of that. Um, but it's very rich. And it just smells a little bit barnyardy for a couple weeks.
0: I've been trying to improve the soil here a lot, and the compost that's available to me in this area to purchase is, it's a little alkaline, which I don't need, mm-hmm. and it also, it has a good bacteria count, but it doesn't have fungal organisms, and mm-hmm. I've the more I've been reading and talking to people, it's the fungus that matters for mm-hmm. flowering plants. Yeah. So the one that you're getting, I think, uh, sounds better for things like roses, and the one that I can get is, you know, I mean, I'm not going to put it on the lawn, but that it would be fine for lawn, but that's not mm-hmm. where I want it. Right. So my garden has very low fungal count, and I think that's mm-hmm. been one of my problems. Interesting. Yeah, Do you I know...
1: I haven't had this one tested for that. Um, should, just for, out of curiosity.
0: Uh, to test the bacteria and the fungus. Well, this yeah. is this is such a. The whole idea of fungus, of fungus, of compost, and what in compost tea, and if it's done really well, and what we're learning about soil and soil health and soil content, and how you can alter a garden through the addition of good. Juicy stuff, which people have known for years, but to, to fine-tune it, to even change the pH using mm-hmm. a compost is an incredible thing. Mm-hmm. And the garden is beautiful. And you said you had kind of a combination companions of all different kinds of plants along mm-hmm. with the roses. So what are some of those plants that you have with them?
1: Um, we put in peonies, um, a couple of really interesting ones, one called alley cat that I think I might be the only one who, who loves it. It's kind of a green flower. <laughs> Uh Um, and we put in a giant coreopsis that we might have to move Um, I think it's called full moon it's a beautiful plant but it's huge and we've got lots of delphinium delphinium were really happy this year I think because of the snow cover
0: your delphinium come back?
1: they came back gangbusters they're huge and really happy
0: most people I know grow delphiniums as if they were annuals
1: I know. I think it might be the snow
0: Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> okay, whatever it is, it's great.
1: Yeah, they are totally happy. And we have oriental poppies, and and we used angelonia this year. In oh, animal, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, which is really beautiful. And lots and lots of different salvias because the hummingbirds love them.
0: And Well, I haven't seen the garden since you've been reworking it. So, so uh, these plants, are they right up against the roses or are they between the roses? How do you do yeah.
1: that? Yeah, they're all mixed into the garden. The The roses are mostly probably three or four feet apart from each other and all of the other plants are, are right in there with them.
0: Well the roses that you have that are very susceptible to disease probably you don't have anymore.
1: Right, yeah, we have gotten <laughs> rid of a lot of the, the weaker roses and and, and really tried hard to find roses that will be a little tougher. Um, and I do have some favorites.
0: Well, I'd love. To, that's exactly what I was going to ask you next, is what <laughs> are some of those roses?
1: I think my very favorite is Champlain, which I think is one of the Explorer series. So it's a really hardy rose, and it's a, a bright red um, Floribunda, I think is what it would be. I always get confused about what the Floribunda and what the... And-, and
0: it doesn't exactly matter, although <laughs> we, know, we know it's a shrub. Yeah. Um, so sh- you said explorer series, is that a Canadian rose?
1: Yes, I think so, yeah. Yeah, we have, we have some bucks roses too, but I haven't been quite as happy with those. Um, although there are some, I think Carefree Beauty is the prettiest one that we have of the bucks. Mm-hmm. And they're also supposed to be, um, they were bred for disease resistance and hardiness.
0: And in most years they are, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but in some years the their leaves get turned black yeah. and fall off. Yeah. But and and it's not fragrant, unfortunately. Um, what are some more of the roses that you're especially fond of, or that do very well?
1: Um, we have there's and Easy and Easy Does It. They're almost interchangeable. Easy Does It has really ruffled petals, and they're both a amazing apricot pink. Ooh. They're gorgeous. And they've been pretty happy. And there's one that's been harder to find um, called Morning Has Broken. Hmm. We were actually given that rose. It's a yellow one. Um, and it's been really tough, for, especially for a yellow rose, because they usually get um, pretty rough leaves. Yeah. Um, but that one's been really happy, though. It is harder to find. Um, we have a rose called Hot Cocoa, which is kind of fun. Ooh. Um, it's got a... Almost brown flower, sort of a coppery brown. It's gorgeous. Of course, I like the the weird roses. I also have a green rose in there.
0: Not a showstopper. <laughs> not not not
1: <laughs> except for me. I, it stops me in my tracks.
0: Oh, <laughs> well. The, I think you're looking very close at these roses, and maybe that's a tip <laughs> for helping other people care for the roses a little bit better: okay. is to look close. Yeah. But if you're raking up those everything underneath them then you are looking at them yeah, close. Yes, it's true. <laughs> the green rose has a little green flower and it's is it just slightly over an inch wide, isn't it? It's pretty small. Yeah,
1: they're pretty small. <laughs> and it's a small plant. It's probably a couple feet tall and maybe a foot wide.
0: Well, that's a pretty old rose, but uh, it sounds like a lot of your roses are new.
1: Yeah, we do we are going for the roses that have been bred for disease resistance. And and most a lot of those are, are new roses, though we do have um, some brown elves in the garden. Those are those were bred in Little Compton, Rhode Island.
0: Oh and, wow!
1: And those those have been pretty happy too.
0: Well, I I don't know. Maybe it's you that are making them happy, <laughs> and uh, certainly paying attention and and having met you and see how you relate to plants. I I think uh, maybe you are the the plant whisperer. <laughs>
1: I love the compliment. I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> I don't deserve it, but I'll
0: take it. Well, it's it's a it's something that you don't get to choose for yourself, you know. It's either <laughs> there or it's not. But it's it's been great speaking with you and I'd like to do that again sometime and and learning a little bit more about rose care and uh, I think we have two things to take away, which is good rich compost in the fall every other year and to politely remove the roses who are not behaving. (laughs) Let them go. It's hard, but uh, probably that keeps the disease down from, keeps it away from the other roses Mm -hmm. too.
1: Although I have to also say that if you threaten the roses with removal, they usually shape up. Ah. So you could try that first.
0: So you're not whispering at all. You're the rose (laughs) shouter. (laughs) Threatener. Well, thanks again. And uh, I can't wait to visit Bristol and see what you're up to. It would be great to see
1: you
0: here again, Ken. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Gee, some of the nicest people that I meet, I meet interviewing on the radio. And Kristen Green is certainly one of them. That was a pleasure to speak with her. And to to hear about Blythwald, a place that I used to go to when I lived in Ro- Rhode Island all the time, and it always had wonderful old trees and the redwood we talked about that was just wonderful to see, terrific to see because there it is, surrounded well, there's a big circle that they planted to protect this redwood in case uh, it wasn't as hardy as we hoped it might be, and I think it's pretty hardy, but it's a huge circle of planted trees with an open lawn, and at the most protected spot in the circle is the giant redwood which is now 100 feet tall something you don't know we see if you're if you're east of California, you don't see the giant redwoods, but there's one in Bristol, Rhode Island at Blythwald. Blythwald has a terrific house, a mansion that you can visit with those beautiful porches we talked about. And uh, it has remarkable trees, and it's always had gardens, but now it has even more spectacular gardens. And that's thanks to Kristen and the gardeners and the volunteers at Blythewald. and Certainly if you're going to Newport or if you're driving up to New England, just visiting places like Bristol and Barrington uh, and Newport and Middletown and everything around there, it's just a, a beautiful, beautiful part of the country. And I shouldn't leave out Little Compton, a, a garden spot too in, in New England, in some place we don't actually think about so much. And, of course, being jutting out in the ocean, they have a terrific climate, too. Not too hot in the summer and not too cold in the winter. It's really, it's kind of a zone seven, actually. And good for roses, and so is that air circulation. And I hope you join me again next week for another edition with another guest on Kendrew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show.